listen, I think we didn't really get to do the intro to the podcast, so we might have to do it now, and then I'm just going to cut it and put it at the <laughs> put it at the beginning because this this was the episode. This was the episode where yeah, we got to do the. What do we have to do? The update, and that's it. I mean, not really. We're not going to anymore. <laughs> no. This is the episode. We're an hour and a half in. Yeah, call it a day. We're we're gonna call it a day. All right. So uh welcome to the soccer podcast where we talk soccer in Delaware, soccer in the rest of the world, and everything in between. My name is Sebastian, and this week I was joined here by Mike. Du- and <laughs> Wayne. Dwayne. There you go. Done. All right. We are back on the 91st minute and uh with our returning, our first returning 91st minute guest. Uh Coach Mike is here from the University of Delaware. Mike, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Um, so I texted this to you uh, probably Monday or Tuesday, I think. And I said, hey, I, I saw something you posted on Instagram <clears throat> right before your game, um, posting pictures of your kids and talking about what was important, you know, right before a game, you start thinking about what's important in your life and and uh, and and it, and it it really it it hit home for me. Um, I think I was mostly because I was in a tournament and I saw that and um and it was it was really it was really just one of those moments that just became emotional. And then I also saw this story, and I don't know if you guys if you guys saw this story, but um a couple of days ago, uh John Pierre Adams passed away. Mm-hmm. So he's a player from, from that played in PSG um back in the 70s and 80s or in the 70s and uh after he retired he went into in for a pretty routine like knee procedure and the anesthesiologist messed up and basically he's been in a coma for 40 years so he was in a coma for 40 years and he just passed away um and it's one of those like again those freak accidents that that you know it's that 0.001% that you sign whenever you're going to for a procedure and that unfortunately that happened to him and um, so you start thinking about in, in, you know, I started thinking about his wife, uh, when, when I read this story about the fact that she's, she's basically, um, she's take, taking care of him for the last 40 years and he just passed away in his house. And, uh, and you're thinking, and you think of, you know, this guy was a professional player, uh, Played at PSG, played in a couple other teams, played on the French national team in 22 games, and and you start thinking about okay, well, all those moments, you know, and all of a sudden his life was to a certain extent taken away from him. So I was I was thinking about what's important, you know, when it comes to coaching, because we we are all in charge, or we our goal is to to make other players or other people better, right? And 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 we we all talk about the fact that it's it goes beyond the game, right? You're you're trying to make an impact in somebody's life beyond the game, beyond the ball. So, you know, how do you keep all of that in check when it comes to your own personal life to a certain extent? So, Mike, I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to talk about your your post specifically and kind of what sparked that moment. And uh, if you wanted to share that with us, Uh yeah. Um... You know, my, I obviously, I think when you become a parent, everything changes, right? Your, your perspective on everything changes. And, um, you know, early in my career, you know, I'm not ashamed to say that when I was younger and I was coaching, it was, you know, just an extension of my playing career. And it was about, you know, I wanted success. I wanted tangible soccer success, right? Like I wanted to win games. I wanted to win championships. 
And that was such a driving force for me early, early on in my career. And then you get older and you go through things in life, right? You have life experiences, some good, some bad, some easy, some really difficult. And you just realize the impact that people have on you and how important that is. And, and then you have kids and, and there's no, there's no greater realization of that. I think than when you, than when you have children uh, and you, you know, see them every day and, and you realize the impact that they, that they have on you on a daily basis. And, and then you see the way that you change. I mean, I am a much different coach now post children than I was pre-children for sure. Uh, so that post, I put up uh, a couple pictures of my boys of Cooper and Easton and, um, and um, just because they are probably, I think the last thing that I think about prior to a game starting, you know, I actually, you can actually see it on my wrist here very lightly, but uh, before every game, I write their initials with a Sharpie on my wrist. Uh, it's the last thing I do before the game starts. I sit in my chair on the sideline and I write their initials on my wrist with a Sharpie. Um, and it's just kind of my reminder of, um, you know, there's going to be moments within this game. Games are emotional for coaches, right? We, we all coach and we get on the sideline and we put so much into our teams. Those are emo That's an emotional 90 minutes for coaches. <clears throat> and when things go well, it feels really good. And when things don't go well, it feels really, feels really bad. And, uh, and I think for me, that ritual that I have of writing their initials on my wrist last thing before that whistle blows to start the game is kind of like my reminder to myself of whether things go really, really well tonight or whether they go really, really bad. Um, these are the two things that matter most. Uh, so just make sure that you kind of keep perspective of that and don't let yourself get carried away. Um, and so for me, that's kind of what it was all about, you know, and, and I think as I've gotten older, Sebastian, the biggest thing that I've kind of really embraced is how important the impact that people have on one another is. And so now my coaching philosophy is completely different than what it was in the beginning. It was, I want to develop you as a player and I want us to win games and I want us to be happy and have all these memories of all the successes that we had. And now it's just, um, I want to make a positive impact on my players and that might be uh, through really positive experiences that they have. And that might be through some difficult experiences that they have, but they're able to come out the other way um, because of the support structure that they have around them. And, um, you know, for me, it's just, I try to be very aware of the relationships in my life and the people uh, in my life. And uh, you know, I think I wrote in that caption, like you will always be my, my why I wrote that underneath the picture of my kids. Like, um, you know, it's there, they are everything to me. And, um, you know, when things, when things aren't going the way that you want them to go, I think that's important to remember that you still have people there that are able to pick you up. And those two little guys, uh, have no idea the way that they pick me up after, after tough games. So I'm just, that's all it was. I mean, I just get emotional thinking about relationships and thinking about people. Um, and so for me, that's all, that's all it is, is it's an emotional time prior to the game, but it's like that before every game for me. And, uh, it's just a reminder of, you know, like be the best that you can be. And, and here's two really good reasons why you should do that. So, and I think that's the, and I think that's the key, right? I think, um, and, and, and obviously that hits home for me as well with, with having two younger kids as well. And, um, and 
it's a weird moment. I've talked about it before. Um, we talked about it on our Mother's Day podcast, actually, with, with Kelly and Beamer. Um, of that weird feeling that, like, you almost, uh, especially, you know, going into, I, I have practices at night. So for me, I see the kids usually before I leave. Um, and uh, it's always that weird feeling of, like, you're saying bye to them. And they're like, oh, you're going to the soccer field? And you're like, uh, they know where I'm going, which is great. Like, it, uh, you know, the fact that they understand where I'm going and things like yeah. that. But at the same time, you're, you know, it's that, you know, once a week or twice a week when they're like, oh, no, don't go to the soccer field today. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God, like, I wish I, I could say, no, I, I, I'm not going to go today. And, and I, I, you know, but ultimately you realize that one of the reasons why you do it is, you know, A, because it financially is, is able to support you uh, or like somewhat support you. Uh, but B, I think you're you're trying to ultimately set an example. You know, you're trying to you're trying to with you know within your own little corner of the world, you're trying to impart some good into this world, and you're trying to make something better, and hopefully impact players and impact your job, so that way their lives are better because of it. You know, and yeah. I think that's the part that I think you know when looking at it from the youth level, you know, from the youth level, parents sometimes forget that that the coaches are people and the coaches do other things and and i know that duane's been getting bombarded with the emails from the recreational side of our club sometimes and and you lose sight that on the other end there's somebody there right yeah and you know i the other day i related this to uh our uniforms and and you know listen i i can buy a package from amazon and it might be delayed because every everything in the world is somewhat delayed now with shipping and things like that but Sometimes we lose perspective of it, right? So, parent unit orders a uniform, and they they think it's the Starbucks mobile pickup, where you order it, and ten minutes later, there's somebody there waiting for the ticket to pop out of the machine to pull you your kid's uniform. And it's realistically, that's not the way it works. Um, absolutely not the way it works. But so then you so then you get upset, and your way of taking it out on somebody is to just yell and bombard them with things, and you're just. Like, wait, on the other person, on the other side, there's a person, right? And, and that person has a family, has a support system, has a structure in their life, or maybe they don't. And this is the only thing they're hung, hanging on to. And you're about to just completely ruin it for whatever reason, justified or unjustified. I think sometimes there's a way to, there's a way to voice um, your opinion or voice that you might not be necessarily happy with something or, or but understanding that the way that message is sent is extremely important because you don't know when it's somebody's breaking point. And I think that's the hardest part. And especially when it comes to coaching kids or teaching kids or anything to do with kids, sometimes parents forget that on the other side, there's a parent or there's somebody that is putting, let's be realistic. None of us that coach soccer, unless we are in that top 1% of coach of soccer coaches, is doing this because we are financially just like rolling, <laughs> rolling in it, right? Like none of us, we're all doing it because we want to impart what we know about the game onto somebody else. It's the same idea with teachers. They're imparting their knowledge on a specific subject on somebody else so that person can turn around and hopefully do it better than we did, yeah. right? And mm -hmm. it, 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 to a certain extent, it's a selfless act, right? Yeah. And you want to take that and say, well, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Like yeah. that, I think it's such a hard message to send. And, and the hard part is, is that, you know, it's, it's people just don't understand that part of it, right? People don't, don't understand that 
that we have to come home and we got to talk to our families or our kids and and uh you know over the over the summer when we we played a game with the diamonds and and my daughter lila you know i came home and she said did you win i said no we we lost we didn't play very well and she said well you just you just have to keep trying i said really she said yeah if you if you don't keep trying you're gonna lose every game and i just <laughs> and I, and I i recorded her saying and i showed it to the girls and i was like listen if my three-year-old can figure this out like in her world it's simple you just keep trying and then it'll hopefully get better right like that's that's what it comes down to um so when we talk about a support system you know i uh i you know i think parents are are extremely important in, in a support system or having some sort of a a parental figure whether it's your actual parent or or an aunt, aunt uncle or grandmother grandfather or just somebody that you look up to or somebody that you can you can lean on um and you know lately i've i've had the pleasure of being able to coach with my dad and i think that anytime i get to do that and and Dwayne Dwayne's Dwayne's hang i think Dwayne's probably one of the coaches that hangs out with my dad the most uh outside of me on the field and, and my dad doesn't say much he's uh he's relatively quiet but just the rides just the I think the fact that he's there is always is always helpful. Um, well, when that referee makes a bad call, your dad is definitely victim. <laughs> don't 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 get it twisted. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Even though he's a referee and he tells me I shouldn't yell at him, he's the one first one to go at him. Um, but but Mike, you know, when you're dealing with college students, that now that support system is changed, oh. and to a certain extent, you have to fill a little bit of that gap or you have to fill a little bit of that on a daily basis. How do you yeah. now uh, go from being a father of two to potentially being the father of 32? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, listen, days like yesterday are, are really difficult for me. <clears throat> um, what a lot of people don't know on game days, right? Like game days are exciting. Obviously we love games. We played St. John's last night at uh, 7 PM, but we have game day walkthroughs at 8 a.m. And when we have a game day walkthrough at 8 a.m., I leave my house at 5 a.m. So I left my house yesterday, 5 a.m. Um, didn't get to see my kids before they woke up. Uh, had game day walkthrough, had a few meetings after that. Uh, came home briefly to get a quick workout in, shower, grab a bite to eat, and then was back in my office by probably, you know, two or three. And then game... Um, game at seven, right? So when I came home from my game, um, my kids were already asleep. So I went through a full 24 hours without really getting to interact with my, my own kids. Uh, and that's for a home game. Uh, that's not even counting, you know, those days where you're away for three, four days straight, um, because you're playing a series of away games. Right. So, um, you know, that, that kind of stuff wears on me. It, it does at times, right? Like I, I miss my kids. Um, I would say the best, one of the best parts of our game days is, is when they are not in school and they can come to the games and they're uh, running across the field after games is the best. Um, I was and, there for the home opener. I thought that was a pretty uh, cool moment. It's awesome. It's awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, those things are, those things are difficult. What I will tell you is really great with our group right now is um, I really, really love this team. Um, top to bottom one through 28. Uh, we have a really great roster, a really great roster, just character wise. Um, 
And so because of that, you know, that is in those moments where like, maybe I'm missing my boys. Maybe I, you know, I miss my family. Um, I, I got a group of kids here that are, you know, like you were saying, kind of like my, <laughs> my de facto kids, right. Cause they're my team and I get to, um, and I get to spend time with them. And in those moments where I'm feeling a little bit down, they do, they're, they're just such great kids that they lift you up and they don't even realize they're doing it. They're just being them, but you're just better when you're around them. Right. And I think that that's such a, a great kind of way to judge a person, right? Like, am I, am I better when I'm around those people? And I really like the way that I am and the way that I feel when I'm around my team. Um, so, you know, I think that there is support or struggle in every single person that you surround yourself with every day. You're going to get one of those two things. You're either going to get support or you're going to get struggle. And very rarely are you going to get anything in between. I'm not really certain that there's an in-between that exists. Um, you know, what I will say is important. And one of the reasons why I think, you know, I feel so strongly about my team is the amount of in-person connection that we're able to have because we train every day, because we have games, because we travel together, because we have team meetings. So it's a lot of in-person stuff. And, and that's where I would say like Dwayne, when I looked at your face, when, <laughs> when Sebastian was talking earlier about like the inundation of emails, the initial thing that comes to mind for me, if I like, if I were you honestly, is I would tell the parents, you can't email me anymore. Um, if you want to talk to me, you, I, I will set aside 45 minutes after every practice, but any con any conversations that we're going to have are going to be in-person conversations because I think what technology has really hurt us with as communication has become easier. Um, empathy has gone down. Yep. And, and I just think, you know, there is a severe lack of empathy when you are sitting on the other side of a keyboard and not looking at somebody in their eyes and, and being able to read their body language and see what kind of day they they've had. Um, and also I just think, uh, when people are writing emails or writing texts, um, it's, it's super easy to, uh, let your emotions get the best of you because you have no concern about what the response to what you're about to say is going to be because it's in an email. And, and then you get to say, and then you get to say, oh, well that you're ready. You're reading into it. Yeah. Right. Like it's a, you know, there's no tone in an email. I'm like, oh yeah, there is. There's absolutely. Uh, there's, a hundred, there's a hundred percent some tone in some emails. Oh, uh, listen, I, I just wrote an email this morning to my homeowners association and I can tell you there was a tone in it <laughs> and it's mostly because my backyard's underwater right now. So, um, but you know, it, it's, it, it is one of those things. I just think um, support structures are really important, but I think support structures don't exist if there's no in-person uh, element to, to what you're doing. So um, I listen, I don't know if it's a solution, Dwayne, but honestly, that's what I would do because I think people are very less likely to uh, just be extremely critical and hurtful. Um, and I just think people are more, more likely to think about what they're about to say if they have to deal with the immediate reaction to what they're about to say. Um, yeah. And I think that it's, you know, you, you have that conversation with that person in person yeah, and it becomes a better you know solution. It becomes yeah. better to have that dialogue with them when you're talking to them. It, it's amazing because I think the whole idea behind, like I would imagine the entire idea behind email, right. Was to connect and create collaboration, but there's no collaboration that goes on in emails. I, I, there's really not that that's, that's, I, I think that's a cop out, <laughs> you know, when you are with somebody face to face, then you have got to work on it because you have to deal with the consequences of it. And, um, 
you know, I don't have very many conversations via email. Most of the time it's me telling somebody what they need to do or them telling me what I need to do. And it's not a, Hey, what do you think we should do? It's not like that in an email. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. That's just my two cents on that. I'll get off my soapbox now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, I mean, I think it makes sense. And I think, I think you bring up a really good point on top of the idea that like, you know, we, as we all have other things going on in our lives. And again, sometimes we, when we go get, when we do get these emails or these text messages, communications from, from parents specifically, there are like random times or they're like, Oh, what's, you know, and you just like you just said, right. Your, your backyard's underwater, right. You're, you're driving to work and your, your car breaks down or, you know, you got to figure out how are you going to pay your mortgage or you got to figure out a million and one different things that, everybody has to figure out right because they're part of regular life but on top of that and again i'm not i'm not trying to say that like what we do is the only thing that's hard in the world and everything else is you know not 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 that at all but we are in a position again just like anybody else that works with with kids where people forget it's again it's that thing when what happens when a kid runs into a teacher at, at at the grocery store they're like what are you doing here i i I shop at the grocery store just like everybody else i need i need food too um but you know it's it's that mentality of like well what do you mean you're not just focusing on coaching my kid 24 7 and no i gotta plan a birthday party i gotta i'm trying to build a like i'm staring at this half-built rock wall that i'm trying to build for my kids so they can play so i can work for two hours extra a week and they can have something to do right like things happen you know all these things are 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 part of life um so before we end mike i'm gonna i'm gonna put you on the spot if if uh if we had to do an interview with cooper and easton today right Mm -hmm. we had to interview them and said all right what are you know what what's the snapshot of your dad right what do you what what do you want to say about your dad what is uh what do you think they would say um oh gosh i mean uh i think it would be something to the effect of that i can be hard on them but that i care about them um because i will say i mean even as little kids i i I don't really give them (laughs) much of an inch i really (laughs) don't um i think i probably parent them the same way that my dad parented me which when i was younger um, to be fair, I did not have the perspective to understand it, right? Like when you're young and you just don't have life experience and dad's hard on you, you take it as dad doesn't like me. <laughs> uh, not that he's preparing me, not that he, um, not that he really cares and that's why he's being hard. Um, so I would, I would venture to guess that the feedback would not be all rainbows and butterflies. It wouldn't be like, Oh, he's so loving and he's so caring and blah, blah. But I think it would be a mixture of both that he can be hard at times, but that, you know, I, I always, I always try to be there for him. You know, I'm always, I always try to show up, which I think is probably humanly the most, the best thing that any one human can do for another human is to show up for them when you need them. And I will say I've been on the sidelines and I've watched Cooper and Easton play their football games. I've been at their football practices. Um, you know, I've showed up to their school, you know, parent teacher nights. Um, I've, I've showed up and I do think that they know that I care, uh, for sure. Um, but I, I also know that they know that I can be tough, uh, at times. (laughs) I'm not naive to that either. So. And for what it's worth, every picture you've ever posted, they're smiling. 
they are they're 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 handsome devils man they got all their mom's good looks thank god so (laughs) if only they get her height too that that is yet to be seen but god i'm keeping my fingers crossed (laughs) uh well listen mike every time that we uh we sit down it's funny we we had our soccer like an our actual soccer conversation before we even recorded so uh so we we kept all the emotional stuff for the actual recording so um we got to uh, do some U.S. national team stuff, man. We had we, we had the international window. We got to talk we, about the. the we US can talk stuff. about it. Go ahead. Let's go. Let's, we can talk about it. Yeah. Did I you mean, feel like Did you feel like that flight wasn't coming back from Honduras at halftime? I thought that U.S. soccer Twitter was getting ready to exile Greg Berhalter for good. That he was going to be on some deserted island by himself with a volleyball that he draws a face on. Uh, <laughs> that's where I felt like he was going to end up at halftime. Just him and his Jordans. Um, just just him that's Jordan. it, man. That's it. Exactly right. It's going to be the, he's going to be the best dressed guy on a deserted Island. Um, <laughs> but I, I, listen, they got the result that they needed in that last game, which I think is, which I think is great. I think for as excited as we are about um, some of the talent that we have in the player pool, I think this window was um truly indicative of the fact that we are probably not as deep as we would like to think we are. Um, because, and, and then the other thing I would say is, and this is something that I can personally relate to because of what our team is going through right now. I think we also learned how important experience is. Um, that you can be a really, really good player, but there is something to be said for not having experienced certain things before. And as much as, Listen, as much as I know Gio Reyna is, is a great player, he's going to be a very important piece for us going forward in World Cup qualifying and, and hopefully, you know, in, in a World Cup. Um, there's one thing that he has not done in his career is he has not gone on the road and played in El Salvador. He has not. And I'm not saying that, oh, my God, CONCACAF qualifying is so much harder than anywhere else. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but qualifying in every region across the world is just different. And if you've never played in those environments before, then you just don't know, you know, right? Like you don't know until you know. And now I think that this was probably a really good first taste for some of these kids. But I think, you know, sometimes maybe, and I'm probably as guilty of this as anybody, you can be critical of some of the, some of the older holdovers, like a Giazzi's artist or a, um, you know, Sebastian Legette. But there is value to some of those players because they, at least they've seen it before. Right. And so um, I think that that's really, really, really important. But I will say I thought in the first half of this last game against Honduras, this was the biggest gap that I had seen between um, game planning uh, from a coaching staff and then uh, roster selection. It was the biggest gap that I had seen. I, I, I think the game plan was kind of off in this direction. And then the players that he chose to execute the game plan was off over here. And they definitely did not marry in the first half of that game. So, um, you know, I think obviously the switches that he, that he made at halftime worked out better for us. And I think just the familiarity with the formation that we were playing worked out better for us. Um, I was really excited to see a positive contribution quickly from Ricardo Pepe. I don't know if he's the answer long-term, Um, I, I would venture to guess that like with any number nine, there's going to be ebbs and flows. Right. But I will say in one game, I've already seen more from him than what I've seen in from Josh Sargent in probably six or seven games. So, uh, which again, I think is, 
indicative of the fact that sometimes when you're putting together a World Cup roster, it's not about what leagues and what clubs your players are playing in. It's about getting the right person for the role at the right moment. And, um, you know, score goals right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, and I always kind of refer back to that 2002 team because it was the most successful world cup team we've ever had. But that 2002 team was chock full of MLS players and they did fine because they all knew what their roles were. They were really well organized and, uh, and they executed their individual roles really, really well. And it didn't matter that they were playing in major league soccer, which was, which still is considered an inferior league to the European leagues. Um, Josh Sargent has struggled mightily wearing the red, white, and blue. Uh, and he's playing in one of the best leagues in the world. So you know what? He just might not be the right fit. And our best strikers might come from major league soccer where they are playing regular minutes, scoring goals regularly, have the confidence in front of the goal. I mean, there's something to be said for that, man. You know, like I actually think that maybe some of our best midfielders might have to come from the best leagues in the world, but the best strikers, so much of that is confidence based. If you're playing for, you know, Schalke or, you know, wherever, Nottingham Forest, and you're not scoring goals, just because you're at Nottingham Forest doesn't mean that you're a better striker than somebody in Major League Soccer. And I think we saw that same thing happen. Like, when did Josie Altidore play best for our national team? When he was playing in Holland and he was scoring goals on the regular. But was that league as good as the Premier League? No. But then he goes to Sunderland and he's not scoring goals and he became irrelevant for us. Um, you know, it's not about what league you play in. It's about the confidence you have inside the 18-yard box. And right now, Ricardo Pepe's got 12 goals in Major League Soccer. And that dude's as confident in front of the goal as anybody. And I think that showed. And Josh Sargent is struggling to score goals, struggling to figure out how to play his role. And I think that showed. Um, I think, you know, I think part of it is, you know, you look at the first, the first, um, the first set of games, uh, the beginning of last or middle of last week, it was only one one winning winning and losing result you know it was only the mexico jamaica game after that everybody tied mm-hmm. um so i think in just the amount of ties that you have in general are it, over overall i think just tells you that and even though in you know in, in obviously the u.s is coming off of a great summer where they they win two titles and and they're excited and, and that's that's fantastic but i think sometimes when you look at it from a tournament standpoint in comparison to the world cup qualifiers um it's a different animal altogether i mean you saw it with italy right like italy you know wins the euros everyone's excited and then goes and ties two of their three games or you know so i think that's part of it is 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 that i think you know to your point mike about the mls the one thing that i think the mls prepares players for is uh at times a little bit of the randomness of the schedule the schedule is not super you know, it's not your Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Most of the time, if I'm this team, I play on Saturdays and I don't play a whole lot on Fridays or, you know, things like that. It, it is random. You know, you, sometimes you got, you got a week. Like I saw a couple of weeks ago, Atlanta had like a two week break where they didn't have a game for whatever reason. Yeah. And then, and everyone else was still playing. And then, so you can play on a Tuesday and then a Friday and then a Wednesday uh-huh. and then a Saturday and a Sunday. Like, it is somewhat random, and I think the World Cup qualifiers, to a certain extent, even though they they are ahead of time, you you know they are a little bit random. It throws you off your schedule because you got to play, you know, a a Thursday Sunday Thursday game. You know, yeah, and, and you and have I, to get used to that. 
And I think travel's a part of that too, right? Like everybody knows Major League Soccer is probably one of, if not the most difficult leagues in the world with regard to travel, right? You could play a West Coast game and then a week later play an East Coast game and you could be in three different time zones in between. So, uh, and most of the time in other leagues, you're not dealing with that type, that type of dramatic travel. And that, I do think the travel in Major League Soccer is far more representative of the travel that, uh, a national team will go through in CONCACAF qualifying. I mean, we played a game in El Salvador and then turned around and played a game in Nashville. I mean, you don't see that type of travel. Um, and then go back down to Honduras. Yeah, and then go – yeah. So, I mean, you don't see that, um, you know, when you're playing in Germany. You don't see that when you're playing in England, obviously. I mean, the travel is so much more minimal, um, you know, in those leagues. So, I, I think that's a I think that's a part of it too. But I, I do think that there's a reason why when we look back at some of our best goal scoring players in our national team's history, that they have been players that have been playing regularly and scoring goals regularly, uh, and most of the time doing that in 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 major league soccer. Um I just think that so much of that part of the field has to do with the confidence that you have around the goal. And, um, so it's no, I mean, listen, is Giazzi's artist, the end all be all probably not. And if he went to England, he would probably be struggling to get on the field for a team in England. Right. But right now for us, he's probably our best bet at number nine, because we know exactly what we're getting from him. Cause you see it game in and game out on a daily basis. Um, so it'll be, it'll be really, really interesting, but there was a, quite a few players I thought acquitted themselves really, really well. You know, I think obviously we we saw firsthand the importance of having Tyler Adams in our team. I think Miles Robinson now is, it was funny. I think, you know, probably a lot of people went into the qualifying window saying, you know, who's going to play next to John Brooks. Is it going to be, is it going to be Miles Robinson? And now I came out of the qualifying window and I'm thinking to myself, who's going to play next to Miles Robinson. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, it's, I think that was a, a really good thing for him. I think we see the importance of having a little bit of, um, having a little bit of nastiness. I think that's something that this roster missed when Gio Reyna had to was not able to play in the la, in the last two games of the window. I think you see the fact that okay, now we don't have a Weston McKenney on the field, we don't have a Gio Reyna on the field, and the attitude that goes along with them. They have a little bit of a of a swag to them, a little bit of an attitude where you know I think their teammates can build confidence off of them. I, for me, what I saw in this is the importance of having Matthew Hoppy on your roster uh, because if you're not going to have McKenney there, if Gio Reyna can't be there, you know who's the next person that brings that little bit of nastiness to the field. And it's Tyler Adams, I think, at times right now for them. But Matthew Hoppy, I mean, he's got the the attitude and he's got just a work rate. And I think teammates are able to build confidence off of it. And then, you know, Kellen Acosta, I would have loved to have seen him do some more Kellen Acosta type things, some more CONCACAFERI, if you will, uh, like, like, he, like he does when they play against Mexico. <laughs> I would love to see him mix it up a little, a little bit more than what he did in this window. But... Um, you know, and then and then listen, Matt Turner uh, is is another one where I look at it and I'm like, I think the goalkeeping position is actually incredibly similar to the striker position. You need reps, you need get, you need you need to be you need game sharpness. Yeah. And I mean, if if it were me and I had to make the choice right now, I don't care that Stefan's at Man Man City. Um, you know, Matt Turner is playing regularly. Yeah. And so he's I playing well and he's playing well. I mean, I think he needs to be in between the pipes and, and I just think they need players in their lineup that are playing regular minutes. Um, I think that's really important. I think the game sharpness is going to be interesting, but then looking forward, who else from major league soccer 
is going to be able to make an impact because we can't have a roster that is fully European based with not a lot of, um, you know, CONCACAF experience. I think Miles Robinson is, is a shoe in for me. I think Matt Turner is probably a shoe in for me. I think everybody knows Giazzi's artist is going to end up being a shoe in, but who else from major league soccer is going to be that domestic based American that is going to be uh, Sebastian legit probably, but like, <laughs> He's never. He's not. He's not going anywhere. anywhere. The dude's like Benjamin Button, man. He's aging backwards. I'll tell you what. They need. They need somebody to drive the bus, uh, pull the waters. He's. He's everywhere, man. He does everything. I mean, but is it is is Ariola going to get back into this team? Is Jordan Morris going to get back when he's back from injury? So like, those are things that I, I think they probably need a little bit more of that. But, you know, I, I think the biggest thing, one of the biggest questions for me moving forward is not even roster or talent or can we qualify? I think without a doubt, we obviously have the talent to qualify. I think the biggest question for me is the only other person that is on this roster that does not have experience doing what he's doing is Greg Berhalter. And can he not, not have another mix up like what he had in the first half of that Honduras game? Because the personnel didn't change all that much it was the tactics that changed a lot at halftime going into the second half. And that's what changed the game. And he has got to do a better job of marrying the game plan to the lineup. Um, and, and I, I mean, think, if well, right can, now you're coming back in a couple of weeks, you're going, you're, you're playing Jamaica, Jamaica at home. So you get two, two out of the three at home this time. Yeah. But you still have to play Panama who was proven a tricky be, match, man. Yeah. And now, and now you got to play Costa Rica, who is now not the same points. Costa Rica, not the same Costa Rica from the summer, right? Yep. Now you got Costa Rica with Kaylor Navas as as your goalkeeper and leadership and, and things like that. And I think, you know, that I was watching Costa Rica played Mexico. Yeah, I was uh, watching that game as well. Yep, I, I watched that, and you know, it was a PK that got called, you know, late in that late in that mm-hmm. first half. But outside of that, it was it was a, it was a good game. I think. I think that's where that's where you know you look at some of these results and Panama getting a result against Mexico and and Mexico's going through a a, a somewhat of a changing period yeah, yeah. A transitional period too they're they're getting you know they're putting in some fresh fresh players on there as well but I think you know and I look at it from the Comebol qualifiers and we can talk about that as well but you know and and the the changes that that Argentina's had over the last couple of years where they've they've basically brought in a new batch of players i thought of three or four of them um and that's still very difficult like because you you, you're dealing with inexperience you're dealing with with all these other things not to mention COVID protocols and everything else you're, you're trying to work in i think what becomes difficult for the mls is because they are trying to become this to a certain extent selling league now where where younger players are are leaving earlier to go to europe now do you lose out on that that MLS experience for some of these guys, some of these younger guys, you know, that we saw after the summer break, three or four guys left to go yeah. play in Belgium and all these other places because, you know, they they did they performed really well. But now the MLS is losing out on them and potentially you're losing that that Conga Cup experience. Yeah, I mean, I think we're one of the players that we're probably going to see that with moving forward pretty immediately is Brian Reynolds at Roma. I think that's going to be a tough one, right? Like, is he actually going to leave FC Dallas, go to Roma and actually play? Um, that's going to be tough because I would say prior to his time at Roma, you're probably like, okay, he's somebody who is going to end up in one of these lineups um, at some point. And now like, can you put him in a lineup? He's, he's not, he's not playing. 
So um, I think that that's going to be tough. I think um, the evolution of Chris Richards is going to be an important one for the U.S. Is is he a 22 World Cup player or is he realistically a 26 World Cup player? Um, You know, so that I think that's going to be really interesting. But I I agree with you, Sebastian. I mean, I think um, the the league itself is in is in a probably a transition as well, and and not all teams on the same page, right? Like some teams trying to buy, some teams trying to sell, and and uh, because they have the goal of winning a, a an MLS Cup, and we, you know, it, it is going to affect what the U.S. does. I think the biggest thing for the U.S. is, I mean, is there a bigger game in qualifying right now for the U.S. than that first game of the next window against Jamaica? I mean, seeing how poor they were in this first window, you have got to get three points out of that game in the opening game because going to Panama is not going to be an easy game, and then playing Costa Rica anywhere, unless it's Denver on, with snow. You know, you're not, that's not going to be an easy match either. So I think, you know, how they really have got to go into that Jamaica game with the intent of getting after Jamaica and, um, and, and really got to secure three points early. You you have to, you got to get, you got to get three points there because I think one of the things, you know, obviously we're looking at the octagonal this year instead of the hex. Right. But yeah. Um, I think one of the byproducts of that is what we used to see in CONCACAF qualifying prior to this is as we got towards the tail end of qualifying, more teams were already out and had nothing to play for. Uh, And what the octagonal is going to do is it's going to keep more teams relevant for a longer amount of time. And if you are collecting ties, well, there's going to be a lot of teams that can go and collect ties. So there's going to be potentially a lot of teams in the conversation uh, as qualifying goes on if you don't do a good job of separating yourself early and um i mean if you so, look at the if you look at the table right now out of the potential possible nine points there's only a six point gap between jamaica and mexico that's wild and that's top to bottom right there and then and everybody else you know then you got you got three teams you got costa rica honduras and el salvador with only a five point gap i mean you want to hear something even more wild how about this what are the chances that Tata Martino makes it through qualifying with Mexico? <laughs> I'm going to say slim to none. I bet you by the end of qualifying, he is no longer their coach. Right. You think so? I, 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 I unless they start running the table, they, they tie another team like Panama. And, and I, and I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be in hot water, man. They, they don't have a track record of like holding on to coaches very long. No, so no. what uh, wins. Yeah, and, people and, want wins. That's it, man. And I think um, if they're not beating teams, the quote unquote minnows of Concacaf that they feel like they should be beating, and then you're also coming off a summer where you lost two cups to the United States. He he. If, hot seat. If people think that he's not on a hot seat, they are kidding themselves. Um, now that being said, I would love it because I would love to have Tata Martino coaching us. So, um, <laughs> self Mexico, Mexico's got Canada, Honduras, and El Salvador. Can we talk about? Can we talk about Canada, and and what John Herdman is doing there with the players that that they have? I mean, I think Canada is the perfect example of. You want to talk about maximizing your talent? They are. They they. I, I would say, inarguably, have the best player in Concacaf. Right, Alfonso Davies is the best yeah. player in this in this hemisphere. So, um, so that's great. That's awesome. Um, but he does not have nearly the depth of talent that the United States has, but he is maximizing the talent that they do have. And I think for me, that is the biggest difference between him 
and Canada right now and, and Greg Berhalter. And I am going to be, I am going to be critical of it. Uh, I think the great thing about Herdman, which is clear from the game plan they went against the U S with playing a four, five, one, or excuse me, a, a five, four, one is he has no desire to be judged by the way that his team plays. He wants to be judged simply by results. And, um, I, I, when it comes to qualifying for a world cup, that's how you qualify for a world cup it is, is play the way that you need to play to get the results that you need to get. And, um, and I, I give him a lot of credit cause I had no idea what that transition was going to be like for, for him because his career prior to this job was on the women's side of the game. Um, and he had done a great job with the Canadian women, but he had no experience coaching men. And so to pop over to the other side, um, and, start coaching in what is a more competitive CONCACAF in men's soccer than it is in women's soccer. I, I was really curious to see the, um, to see the transition that he was going to make, but he's got those guys playing hard. His substitution pattern against the U S was spot on. Um, and not only did they get the result that they needed to get against the U S, but they had chances to win that game, chances to win the game that we did not have. Um, so he's done an unbelievable job, uh, with the talent that he has at his disposal. It's, 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 it's incredible. Um, and they're not going to be an easy out for anybody. I mean, I I'd be really interested if he's got his full complement of players, I'd be really interested to see what that Mexico Canada game looks like, because I think that's going to be a much more difficult game than what it was in the past. I know they played over the summer. Um, I I think it's going to be a much more difficult game than, than the prior game was, because if there's any team that seems like they are learning, from their previous performances, it's Canada right now. So you're calling it Canada to the World Cup? <clears throat> Listen, I think it would be great for North American soccer, especially knowing that we are going to be hosting the next World Cup as a continent. Um, I, I think it would be incredible for Canada to go to this World Cup to drum up even more excitement for the next one. Um, and certainly, I think it's always good when you can have the best players in the game playing in the World Cup, right? So I think like for somebody like Alfonso Davies, it would be a shame to not have him in the world cup. And I think, you know, and I feel the same way when I look at a player like Erling Holland, like, I mean, the guy's the best striker in the world right now. I mean, if he doesn't play in a world cup, it's going to be a shame the same way it was when every time Zlatan didn't play in a world cup. Right. So, um, I would love to see Davies playing in a world cup in his prime. Um, you know, and I think you can fly, man, the kid can fly. He's, he's, he is, uh, and I think the thing that really helped him, it seems, with his move to to Bayern, is the amount of savviness that he has gained playing with them. And and I think again, the big thing is he's playing. You know, yeah. he's not a he's not a Bayern sitting the bench. He's at Bayern. He's playing. Yeah. And so the savviness that he has developed by being on the field with those guys. I mean, even when you look at uh, the ball that he stripped off Sergio Dest uh, when they got played in behind, and Sergio Dest had a head start to the ball and easily could have just knocked the, you know, volleyed the ball out of bounds while he was faced up to his own goal. If you see the way that uh, Davies positions himself off that ball, he puts himself in the only spot where Sergio Dest has to knock the ball into him and not knock it out of bounds. And I just think that, I think he meant to do that. I think that's a savvy, he was not just chasing down the ball and the ball happened to hit him. I think he positioned himself on that side of Dest's body so that Dest had no choice but to, either knock it into him or play it back to the goalkeeper, at which point he was just going to go press Turner because he was flying. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he's, he's an incredible, incredible, uh, 
incredible player. And the other one that I think is, is going to be an unsung hero. And I think will play a huge role in whether or not Canada qualifies is going to be Tejan Buchanan. He's been unbelievable for them. Uh, he was great for the new England revolution. I think he just got sold. Uh, I think he's overseas now. I think he just, did he just go to Belgium maybe? So um, you might've. Yeah. So, I mean, he's, he, when he came on against the U S I thought he was a difference maker. Um, and I think, um, as he get gains more playing time with Canada, I think he's, I think he will be a huge, they every team's going to key in on Alfonso Davies. So what Jonathan David can do and what, uh, Tejon Buchanan can do away from Alfonso Davies is going to be, is going to be critical for them. But he was a one man. He was the guy that toe poked the ball past Matt Turner, past the back post late in that game. Um, I mean, he's, he's going to be huge for them. So yeah, it's, he's it's, on, he's on loan at Bruges. Yeah, there you go. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting, I think the octagonal, although it probably gives a little bit more of a buffer is, is, is what I've read and what I'm the feedback that I'm hearing is that, well, there's more games. So there's a little bit more of a buffer, but there's always, there, there's a catch 22 to everything, man. There's always a, a pro. It's still going to come down to that, that third and fourth spot are still going to come down to the last week. Yeah. Yeah. And, <clears> and, going and, and, but, but now with, with more games, are there going to be more teams in play? Right. Like that's, I think that's, it's going to be who beats who, what results, who did you, it comes back to who did you get points against? Yeah. I mean, who I think everybody, everybody right now should be opening up their, their ever changing CONCACAF rule book, trying to figure out what the tiebreakers are because yeah. um, there's, <laughs> there's a very there's strong gonna be, yeah that there's going to be multiple team tiebreakers. Um especially with the amount of draws that we've seen that we've seen oh, early yeah. on. And honestly, smaller teams would are going to be really smart to play for draws and try to steal points where they can, but play for draws. I mean, that's why, like, I think the U S although they come out of the window, the initial window with five points and that's fine. It's, it's fine. It's not disaster by any stretch of the imagination. I think not getting seven points uh, out of this window is, is, they have to look at, at what they're doing and be a little bit more critical of themselves because, you know, you can get away with tying Canada at home if you beat El Salvador on the road. And, and I think, um, you know, you, you really have to, they, they need to look at it because if there's any team right now that does not have um, any latitude in this qualifying, it's the United States because everybody's going to be gunning for them, especially after the summer, the summer they had winning. Yeah winning two cups and, um, and, and just like, listen, let's, let's call it what it is, right? We are a growing soccer nation and it would be devastating for this country to miss out on two consecutive world cups while also, I mean, let's, let's call it like it is. We've missed out on what four consecutive Olympics. Oh yeah. Um, you know, so we can put Gio Reyna over in Dortmund. We can have Pulisic on a huge price tag at Chelsea but we can't call ourselves a soccer country if you can't qualify for the biggest tournaments in the world. And right now everybody's giving us a pass on the, the Olympics because it's a U23 tournament uh, and FIFA doesn't really care about it. Mexico, we, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. Like for Mexico, it's important, but Mexico is a soccer nation. Right. And so um, the expectation, we need to qualify for the world cup. There is no, there is no leeway here. No, uh, because you can't go into 26 going that you're automatically qualifying. Like it just, it, it becomes, it becomes, it, it basically the perception will be that you just, you know, bought think, your way in. You couldn't qualify, so you just bought your way in. 
Well, I mean, it goes back to what Mike said experience, right? Like if you go into the 26 world cup, Mm -hmm. I mean, John Brooks probably won't be there, but you look at that roster now, he's the only guy with world cup experience. I mean, was John Brooks there at the, at the Honduras game? Because I didn't, I rarely saw him, (laughs) (laughs) but I I mean, listen, I, Weston McKinney. Yeah. yeah. I think, um, I think, you know, you, you, you have to be able to learn from your past and, you know, we would be, I think naive if we did not believe that the 1990 world cup didn't play a part in the success that we had in 1994. I mean, we, yes, we hosted the world cup in 94, but had those guys, had the core of those players not gone to the world cup in 90 and, and got knocked out in the group stage. Um, I just don't think they have the experience to go and win a game like, like that game against Columbia in 94 that they won to propel themselves into the knockout round. And then to be fair, almost knock out Brazil. Uh, I mean, they played great in that knockout game. A lot of people don't remember that, but they were really, really good. And, and if it wasn't for um, Tab Ramos getting his face broken by an elbow, um, they probably have a really good chance of winning that game because Tab Ramos was killing Brazil. Um, but I think a huge part of that success in that World Cup was the 1990 World Cup. And I think if we want to be successful on home soil in, in 2026, you have to have Gio Reyna and Pulisic and uh, maybe a Ricardo Pepe or you know a Josh Sargent or whomever, Miles Robinson. They got to play in a, in a, uh, you know, a 2022 World Cup. They have to. And, um, and yeah, we were a disaster in the 98 World Cup. And there's a great podcast, by the way, guys, that you guys should listen to about the, uh, about the 98 World Cup. That It's like a behind-the-scenes thing. It's amazing. Um, that locker room was like a real housewives episode, uh, <laughs> apparently. And, and Steve Sampson had no control over the players. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, yes, yes, we finished last in that world cup overall, but you're going to tell me that that experience did not help propel the United States in 2002 and, and that, and Bruce arena sitting back and analyzing what he saw in 98, I'm sure had something to do with how he structured his team going into 2002 because a huge problem that the U.S. had in 98 was, was, was roster, roster decisions, roster choices, right? Like that was probably at the crux of their demise. Um, and, um, and I'm sure Bruce Arena learned lessons from that because he's a good coach. And uh, so I think success in World Cups is, is I think, part and parcel with, um, you know, do you have the talent? Obviously, right? Because you can't fake the funk when you're playing against the best of the best, but you, you need experience. You have to have experience. Um, and so us getting into this World Cup is, is critical for the United States. And that's where, you know, like, I like Burhalter. I do. I like him. Um, but when people were critical of him being hired because of the potential nepotism with his brother being in us soccer, we should be asking those questions. People that care are going to ask those questions because I think people that care understand how important it is that this team's playing in 2022 in Qatar or whatever nation hosts the world cup. Cause I'm still not convinced that Qatar is going to host it. So, um, <laughs> you think it's going to change at the last minute? I absolutely do. I think they need to have stadiums, which they're not built yet. And I think uh, the social climate is going to be very difficult for them to host this world cup, especially now when it's an open, uh, you know, it's open knowledge that, that they cheated to get it. Um, I mean, and they're supposed to host the, um, the other, the, the pre the, the year before the, don't, Oh no, they don't play it anymore. Yeah, they got rid of the Confederations Cup. The Confederations, yeah. Yeah, they got yeah. rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think I I just find it hard to believe that they're gonna that, that World Cup is gonna go off 
uh, in Qatar, um, the way that they're expecting it to go. There's just so many things that are working against it, whether it's the climate in that region of the world, whether it, the, the weather climate or the social climate, yeah. I mean, pick and choose which climate you want to talk about, but neither is very good to host the world cup at this moment. Um, you know, I just, I, I would have a hard time believing that at, at the end of the day, I think FIFA is going to do what they do best, which is take people's money and then screw them over. Um, yep. And they are, they have a history of it. They're known for it. Um, and I think that, you know, with that money in their pocket, uh, they'll, they'll have no qualms about pulling it out last second if they feel like they need to. Yeah. So, um, so well, yeah. we're going to, we're going to do the player of the match since you're still here. So if Let's you, uh, uh, so uh, my player of the match, uh, speaking of, FIFA and um, debacles uh, goes out to Messi because yesterday, last night, puts three against Bolivia, back in front of, uh, back in Argentina for World Cup qualifier, back in front of people the first time since March of 2020 that there's been fans allowed in Argentina. Uh, 20,000 um, went into the River Plate Stadium, which has been renovated, which as painful as it says it is for me to say it, uh it, it is a, it is now become of a, a quality stadium for for the national team to play on um so messi scoring scoring hat trick uh passing pele in the most goals scored uh in a national in a south american national team ever at 79 goals um he has the most hat tricks in the argentinian national team history at this point now coming off of uh what was an absolute debacle on uh on those five minutes of sunday's game against brazil um so uh to me to me messi is is uh it's funny i was, I was talking to my dad about it and um, you know i got i got to watch the game a little late so i got to watch the second half and i said hey listen like he looks like he's playing really well and he and, and i think it's every it's every what everybody says about him now especially if you're argentinian he just looks like he's playing happy like he's just happy yeah. and when he's happy he he plays at his absolute best. Yeah, um, I mean, right, well, he's happy he's able to travel. <laughs> well, that, that that too wasn't. I mean, you got to. I I can't imagine the amount of pressure that that guy played under, especially towards the end of the of the time at Barcelona. I mean, when you become synonymous with your club, um, the weight that you're probably that 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 must be weighing on you game in and game out. It's got to be, it's got to take its toll. You know what I mean? So the fact that maybe he, he's in a new place where he feels like he doesn't have to be the face, even though he's got, he's going to be the face, but that there's other people that are stars that have been there longer than him. And maybe he feels like he doesn't have to carry everything. Um, I would imagine that he, he must be feeling pretty, pretty darn good to get out of the, you know, Titanic that Barcelona currently is. Absolutely. Well, I, and I also think you know, I, in in over the last five years or three or four years, I've 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 read more about him, and and obviously I knew his story and stuff like that. But I read more about him. I've listened to more interviews from him and from other people, and and the 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 progress that he's made in general as a as a player and being able to adjust at thirty four years old to now find an, another gear to play in. And and you know, Di Maria did an interview a couple of weeks ago, and and he said. Um, you know, he, he, him, he, they have nicknames for each other in general. So they're, now they're playing together. He said, he's, you know, Di Maria is the first one to, to get to the to PSG for practice and Messi gets that gets to him like literally a minute later. Um, 
but he, he doesn't want to stand out during practices. He stands out because he, he you know, as Di Maria calls it, he's, he's, he's not from this planet. He's from a different planet altogether. The things that he does, and I'm assuming, I would assume that during practice, he does way more than he ever does in an actual, in actual game. So, um, but he doesn't want that. Like he just wants to be treated just like everybody else. Because if you try to treat him like the absolute player that he is, it you you wouldn't talk to him, right? You would just sit there and just like stare at him. Um, so he he wants to be treated just like anybody else. Um, and and the emotions that he gets, and the fact that you know yesterday there was a, you know he broke down in the interview, and then he was crying after they gave him the Copa America to be able to you know do a circle, do a lap around the around the stadium, and. And he was being able, he was able to wave to his mom and his brothers who were at the game and, and the emotions that all that came in. And I just think um, for a guy that that's played three different finals and and lost all of them and it felt like all the pressure was on him, he was able to finally been able to release that. And I think yesterday, unfortunately for Bolivia, uh, was basically the the perfect scenario. I think any other game wouldn't have been the same. I think the fact that you play in Bolivia helps you. You're playing at home. It helps. Bolivia's not not very strong at all, um, and uh, and you know he he scores three three great goals, especially that first one where he makes the guy and then just it, <laughs> it, and and there was a this Argentinian channel has a Messi cam for any time Messi plays for the Argentinian national team, so you just <laughs> yeah. follow him around. And the uh, messy it follows him around in his personal life too. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> the messy cam caught him standing. Basically, he's literally just standing. He checks his shoulder to to his left. He moves off like two yards, gets the ball, just knows the pressure's coming, slips to Meg, and then just gets past. You're just like, all right, like he just he's, just different, man. He's di- he's different. in a different. He's a different world. So yeah, it's different. The game, uh, the game is slow for him. Oh yeah. Dwayne, who's your player of the match? My players of the match, Kyle Lahren and uh, Brendan Aronson. Uh, you know, Sebastian, me and you were talking during the U.S. game. Uh, you were like, why is Jonathan David not starting? Today, Kyle Lahren. Kyle Lahren scores a goal. We're struggling. Uh, U.S. was struggling to break that five in the back. I said, you know, Brendan Aronson's pretty crafty. He'll find a way to break that line in the back. Scores a goal. So, players of the match. Wish I put some money on it. A little bit richer. <laughs> I love that. I love uh, that. Mike, you got a player of the match? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh well, I got two. So the first one I would say is the the uh federal agents that pulled those players off the field in, in Brazil. Oh great. Uh, t shirt guy, just, as I call them. I call them just, t shirt guy. Yeah. Mike, Mike, Mike called them. That's it, man. T shirt you know, guy and best I, guy. What what would South American World Cup qualifying be if you didn't have some type of like ridiculous controversy? So I just want to thank them because like having it happen in like the first window is amazing. That's great. Uh, I can't wait to see where it goes from here. So it sets the bar uh, high, right? It, 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 it really did. I mean, you know, so it's, it's, uh, I mean, we're going to have to go well beyond like bands playing outside hotel rooms now because I mean, they literally sent federal agents on the field during the game. I think that's, that is, that is, that was absolutely planned and absolutely incredible. Um, so I just can't wait to see what kind of like soap opera drama comes out of Conmebol qualifying. Um, really stoked Fantastic. about that. I love being from South America. <laughs> uh, and then the other thing I would say is obviously uh, Ricardo Pepe, because what kind of American would I be if I didn't overly hype an 18 year old who scores a goal? So, um, <laughs> you know, it's uh 
because, because they all pan out so well. Um, <laughs> but no, I, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for him because it was, it was the performance that he put together in the second half of that Honduras game was what we needed. And I could tell you after watching the first half, my biggest fear was that he was going to come out and Josh Sargent was going to stay in. And I was like, please don't do that. Like that would be such a Burhalter thing to do uh, would be to give Sargent a 27th opportunity to score a goal. Um, so uh, I, I'm just, I'm happy for Ricardo Pepe goal and an assist in the second half of the game and uh, took the goal really well. It was a goal scorer's goal. It was a challenged header in the box and he's still able to get up over the guy and knock it into the corner. It was a great goal. And then um, I think also you see, a bit of his maturity, even though he's 18 years old to, I, as soon as he got into the box uh, for his, for the the goal that he assisted, I thought he was going to smash it. I thought he was going to go for the brace and just try to smash it and score the second one himself. And it's just a cool, easy uh, ball over to Aronson. I believe it was to score the goal. So, um, you know, Ricardo Pepe, let's, let's hope that he is the one that can dethrone Josie Altador as our best striker of all time. <laughs> oh, Sounds boy. like you want Josh Sargent to come to the MLS. Just get him out of get him out. Come to the MLS. I mean, listen. Outside of his pocketbook, would would it be such a bad move for him? I mean, is it a bad thing to put a striker in a place where they're going to score goals regularly? I, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I think that when Altador left Holland and went to Sunderland, that should be a cautionary tale for any American player that considers themselves a goal scorer. You got to look at that and say. It, it, all right, listen, do you want to get paid? Fine. But if you're, but if you, if you choose to get paid rather than choosing the place where you can really build confidence and score goals, then uh, you're going to have to pay the consequences of it. And I don't think Josie Altador ever recovered from leaving Holland and going to Sunderland. I think it was a career killer for him. Um, and even coming back to the MLS at that point could not help him. It was too little too late. Um, yeah, so he, he, his hamstrings were too far gone by that point. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> hey, it was nice and cold in Holland, right? <laughs> yeah, he was <laughs> like cryotherapy all the time. Yeah, man. <laughs> that's why he was able so, to play. Yeah, um, I mean, it's uh, for me, I, I honestly, Dwayne, I don't think that'd be a bad thing, but I, it'll never happen because of how young he is and how much money he's making. But um, I don't think it would be a bad thing for him to go somewhere where he can play regularly and and score goals. I just don't. That's think the reason why Sebastian Legette's in the national team, right? He he left. Where was he? West Ham. Mm-hmm. Wasn't playing, and now look at him in LA. I mean, I mean, listen. Now he look, plays every position on the field. I I'd love to say, you know, I I'd love to knock Landon Donovan when Landon Donovan was going to and leaving Leverkusen multiple times. But like, I mean, honestly, for our national team, who's been more consistent than him over the past twenty years? I mean, he was almost always our most impactful player on the field, and he spent. 99% of his career in major league soccer. Um, you know, it is, I just think sometimes with certain positions, confidence and repetitions is every is, is everything. And I, I happen to think that goal scorers and, um, you know, goal scorers and, and goalkeepers are the two where you need, you need repetitions and you need confidence. Um, you know, there's a reason why Wando got onto that 2014 World Cup roster. Uh, Chris Wondolowski was not good enough to play in any other league anywhere else in the world. He'll get you a goal. Unless maybe it was the Canadian Premier League, right? Like that might be <laughs> the only other league he's playing in. But but the dude was clinical in front of the goal, except against Belgium. Um, but to be fair, he still got himself to that spot, right? Um, so it is what it is, man. I, I just, 
I do think that there's something to be said for that. I would love to see, I, I love domestic based strikers just because of the opportunity and the development that I think they get here that they don't get anywhere else. So. Um, all right. Well, we're going to move on to the, on this day in soccer history. So on this day in history, um, when we're going to, we're going to go across, we're going to go across the pond for the on this day in history. So September 10th, 1998, uh, so coming off the world cup, um, Manchester United becomes the first football club to have its own TV channel with Manchester United TV launching on September 8th, 8th September 10th, 1998. Um, it was a monthly subscription of four pounds and 99 cents or four pounds and 99, whatever it is that they have over there. <laughs> I got the British pound. So four, four ninety nine. Uh, yeah. So there you go. You know, that was, uh, that was 1998 like, MUTV. Ten bucks a month. <laughs> MUTV. MUTV. And now here we are, what, uh, 22, 23 years later. And, uh, and we have a failed super league and, and soccer has not been the same since. So thank you, Manchester United. I appreciate Thanks. that. Thanks. But, uh, but I will say, but I will say, I do think that the, this, the idea, the idea of a, of a dedicated channel to a club back in that moment was somewhat of a trendsetting yeah. thing that now you see with YouTube, right? Yeah. Um, media departments and clubs have become massive mm -hmm. and the YouTube and the Instagram and social media uh, platforms and the, and the content that, that clubs provide now, I think is, it does give the fan an inside look into their, into their players. And I think it brings them closer. I think it, um, and I think it's, it's obviously transitioned into other sports. Um, you see, and the NBA does it with all their, all their, you know, you sometimes before you used to have to go to, you have to, you used to have to go to a game to find out <laughs> more about your player that like little 15 second, like trivia with uh whatever player, you know, now YouTube or, or social media has, has brought that in and, and gives you an inside, a little bit of an inside look. You don't have to pay for the UFC fights anymore. You could just wait 15 minutes and watch it on Instagram. <laughs> you could True. do that too. True yeah. story. That's great, so, man. Man United. So, so Man United killed Man United for British people in 1998. Yeah. On this day in 1998. Okay, that's good. That was the last time that they started using English players. Fantastic. <laughs> hey, listen, we're we're getting to a point, and we didn't really get to talk about this, but Champions League starts on Tuesday. Um, and and what better what better two games to start at 12:45 on Tuesday? Sevilla Salzburg. Could be a great game, and then there some scores a goal. Manchester United, Manchester United, young boys. I mean, and will we see Ronaldo in that Manchester 100%. United young young boys game? I would imagine. I would imagine you will. Is it young young boys from Switzerland? Yeah. I mean, why are we talking about Ronaldo when we could be talking about Jordan Pifak? Are will we see Jordan Pifak in that game? Is Fair enough. A more important question, Sebastian. He's got to Fair score enough. goals. You're right, Mike. I <laughs> hey, he had his opportunity to score goals. He's got to score goals. Got to score goals, man. Got to score goals. If he does it against Man United, I might give him the nod in the next window. So, <laughs> but hey, so how long is how long is Aronson going to be at Salzburg? Salzburg for like, I'm surprised he's not at Leipzig already. Score uh, goals. He score goals. I mean, Listen, give keep, him. You give give him through the group stage, and he's out. <laughs> keep climbing. Keep climbing the ladder. I mean, he's man. the reason why Salzburg's even in in yeah, the group stage. That's right. I mean, what Caden Caden Clark signed directly with Leipzig, didn't he? So, like, why? No, is Brendan, yeah. So why? So is Brendan Aronson kind of pissed that he had to go to Salzburg first, and before he gets to go to Leipzig? Like, dude, this dude's seventeen. He just he just went on loan to Leipzig. What the hell, man? Yeah. 
I don't know. I think I think I think I'm excited for what Aronson can do in, in Salzburg in the Champions League. I think he'll be he'll be really fun to watch. I think he's in general really fun to watch. I actually just, think that I think Leipzig's missing a player like him right now. To be honest, I mean, I think that they they seem like that they are not exactly the same as as what they've been in the past, and I I think they're missing that crafty playmaker from the wing that um you know that seems like something they could honestly that they could utilize him for sure but at the same time if i'm if i'm if i'm brendan aronson i'll take my match against sevilla over city that on 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 this week yeah yeah that's 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 crazy too how how all the brazilian players or south is it south american players or just brazilian players can't play so so here's what happens so um fifa fifa says that for any sort of competition that's like an actual FIFA qual- FIFA sanctioned competition, so the World Cup qualifiers are that, uh, clubs are obligated to release their players for their national team. If players are not released, then the national team has the ability to file a claim against FIFA for those specific players, and those specific players would be uh, banned from playing at their club for five days. Okay. So Brazil is choosing to do that with every player from England except for Richarlison. Because Everton allowed him to go to the Olympics. <laughs> but it's nuts because like Man City right now is looking at Ederson's Carson. all of a sudden suspended. Carson. <laughs> Stefan picked up COVID over here. Now you're looking at this old, what is his name? Scott Carson? Yeah, 36 years old. has played one game for Manchester City in four years. I mean... Uh, Kyle can't, they, can't, can't they get Joe Hart somewhere? Like, isn't he floundering around in in some place? Like, no, he's at. Uh, isn't he? Isn't Joe Hart at? Uh, Dude, Joe Spurs? Hart gave up a bad goal last week. He's playing somewhere, but he gave up a really bad goal last Listen, week. If, if I had a, if I had a penny for every time somebody said Joe Hart gave up a bad goal, <laughs> I, I I would be a rich man right now. <laughs> Pretty sure Joe Hart's at. Wasn't he at Spurs? He was at Spurs the last time. Joe Joe Hart gives up so many bad Please. goals that I actually think he might train that at practice. Like, <laughs> what is a new way that I can give up a howler? Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so so that's kind of the rule. Uh, that's why you got to be Argentinian. You just say you he's just, at Celtic. Celtic. Okay, he's a Celtic. Man. Uh, so so yeah, you just you know, the Argentinian players just took off, and now they have to go train in Croatia by themselves, so then they can go back. England. It's a whole big mess. So it's fantastic. I, I bet you there's a lot of training going on in Croatia, if I had to guess. <laughs> They're not on the Croatian beaches at all. That's not happening. No, 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 not at all. No, no, no. No, Spurs, Spurs sent both both Spurs Argentinian players a coach, a designated coach, to Croatia. Yeah, I'll volunteer for that. Can I go. <laughs> you'll go do you'll go train them. Yeah. Yeah, we'll train on the beach. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so going into the Champions League this week, uh, big matches are, are Bayern against uh, Barcelona, uh, Barcelona against Bayern. Um, Athletic, I think, thrashed them. It's gonna yeah. be ugly. It's gonna it's gonna be uglier than when it when they had Messi and they thrashed them. Listen, I think you know we just you know, Barcelona just pick up Luke de Jong right uh, to 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 come and score goals. Uh, so we may, maybe Martin Brightwaite just hits rides the bench. Maybe Ricky Pooch finally finds a way to get in the in the game. Did you see the Champions League squad? They have like three midfielders. And Rick is Ricky Pooch one of them? He's one of them. Uh, well, good. He's got a good chance of getting in there. Uh, but he probably won't. They'll probably put somebody else in uh in for him. <laughs> uh 
Atletico Madrid playing Porto. Uh, it's gonna be a good game. Inter Milan versus Real Madrid. I think will be one of the uh, one of the stands out standouts of the uh, the first one. And then um, Liverpool against Milan. I think will be the other the other standout. Uh, Who does PSG play first? Uh, PSG plays Bruges. Ooh. A lot of goals being scored. Yeah, so Messi, yeah, Messi, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, Messi, Neymar, Di Maria, all starting in that game, and Mbappe, and Mbappe, four two four. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There's your four two four right there. Tejan Buchanan, his, his hamstring is suddenly tight. Oh no, I can't, I can't go, Coach. Sorry, sorry, Coach. My bad. I got a pulled ego. I mean hamstring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, fair play of the week. Um. My fair play of the week goes to the NWSL players uh, because the NWSL has made an absolute sham out of the NWSL, I think, or the NWSL league has made an absolute disaster of what it is now, the championship that's supposed to be played on November 20th at 9 o'clock in the morning in Portland, uh, which is now known to be the stadium that no NWSL player wants to play in anyways because it's a turf field and not a grass field. They don't like to play there. So not only do you make them play there, you make them play there at 9 o'clock in the morning, um, which seems like a fantastic time to... For a pregame, well, Mike, you said you said you for your for your seven o'clock game, you get to the field at two p.m. Right? I get to my office at two p.m. We start get, pregame at four. Perfect. So they'll, they'll be starting. They'll be starting pregame at six a.m. for a nine a.m. kickoff. So oh, you might as I well mean, just sleep li- over, right? Listen, this is this is as somebody who has made who has worked in women's soccer for a career. What I would say, my biggest frustration is is. Um, Leagues, uh, players, teams, coaches not being big enough advocates for themselves. I mean, this is a the league has now been around for con- consecutive years, right? Like, what is it, four consecutive, five consecutive seasons, whatever, however long that it is, and they've had the opportunity to really take a stance and be an advocate for for women's soccer across the globe, and they have dropped the ball at every opportunity between owners hiring coaches who are drastically unqualified to be in the positions that they're in to um, allowing other uh, leagues to come in and poach players the way that the English super league has come in and just pulled players out of NWSL uh, because the league has allowed them to get away with it. Um, You know, to, to little, to simple, to not being able to secure a meaningful TV contract, um, to not be maybe being more willing to work with major league soccer. And then to do, to do things like this, they have been their own worst enemy all the way through. And it is, it is, this is honestly, Sebastian, a disaster of, of epic proportions for that league. Uh, it, it, it really is. And if I'm, if I am a player of consequence in that league, yeah, I'm going to go over and play in the super league in England too, where they take my game seriously. Uh, so I don't blame them in the least. I don't, I, I feel, I feel bad for the players. Um, but it, it, it is, it is a, it's a direct result of having um, people who are not qualified for their jobs in positions where they're able to make decisions that then the players have to deal with the consequences of. And that's, that is the long and short of it, uh, to be honest. And that might sound critical and it is. Um, no, I think you're in. So and you, and you have to put things in perspective, right? So, 
Yes, I understand it, right? Or no, I don't understand it. But I, I, the reasoning behind it is that CBS Plus, Paramount, whatever, or CBS and Paramount Plus, or whatever it is that are going to be streaming the game, don't want to potentially give up a primetime spot in November uh, for a game that's ultimate, that to, that's not going to get a whole lot of viewers, right? Mm-hmm. You're just you're just not going to you're not willing to give up that primetime spot, so yeah. the game gets scheduled at nine o'clock in the morning. So. But the answer, the answer is simple. The answer is you play on the East Coast at noon. That's that's the answer. I mean, why are college why, football, right? So you're you're losing the viewers, or you just move the game to the middle of the week. I, I mean, listen, if they are if they are playing a 9 a.m. kickoff on the West Coast, that's a 12 p.m. kickoff on the East Coast. Yeah. So so they're playing during during football time anyway. So just play the game on the East Coast at 12 o'clock. Uh, and give the players some sort of a more normal experience because Major League Soccer kicks off games mid-afternoon all the time. I mean, yeah. give them some type of a of a normal experience. But to say we have we have to fill a twelve noon time slot, East Coast time. So, but we're gonna we're gonna host the championship on the West Coast is the most idiotic thing that I, there is a simple solution to this problem. But the people who work in the NWSL front office are complete and 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 utterly incapable of doing their job. Not Period. to mention, not to mention the fact that ultimately you're playing at the Portland Thorn Stadium, which allows fans, right? So now you want fans to go for a 9 a.m. kickoff on a Saturday in November. I, I mean, it, so the reality is, is that most travel teams or travel players are, you know, it's weekend before Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. some sort of a tournament's happening. We're in Raleigh. Yeah, yeah, we're in North Carolina that weekend, right? So. Something is happening that weekend where you're going to lose a lot of that local base because ultimately you're it's you're talking about the NWSL. The people that are going to the games are going to be young players and their families, right? You're not you're not talking about hardcore fans that like, you know, it, it, it's you know mid fifties guys that have season tickets to the Portland Thorns games, right? You're talking about the local community that you want to go to your stadium to provide a good environment for these players to play in. So now that local community. A, there's no guarantee that Portland's going to make the finals. So now you're asking the local community to shell out, you know, 40, 50 or 100 bucks or whatever it is for, for, for ticket at 9 a.m. When they probably already have some sort of other soccer commitment, because you're talking about soccer families in the middle of November, just the lack of thought process. Hey, to- I, I, have a, I have a novel idea here. Um, you guys are going to be in Raleigh. Why don't they play the game in Cary? Great stadium, right? Now you can play in a great stadium. You can Grass play. Field. You can play on a, on a great field with great training facilities, and you can play at twelve noon because and and still fill your same TV time slot. Yeah. Uh, and you have the added benefit of having a youth tournament that's in the area where you can draw you can draw fans from the yeah. youth tournament. You you but, you talk with because it's North Carolina. It's NCFC's youth like the showcase. It's the the former Castle Showcase, so you can easily talk to NCFC. Make sure that there's a four-hour window or whatever where there's no games. Now you encourage players to go there. Now you have college coaches going to those games. You have you have youth players going to the, like. And now you've built an environment out of it. They are. It is. It is one of the most simplistic. It, it's honestly. It's it's dumb that we're even talking about this as it being a problem because it's not a problem. There's a simple, simple solution. A 9 a.m. kickoff West Coast is a 12 p.m. kickoff East Coast. You move the game to the East Coast. And then you have the added benefit of also moving it 
right into the middle of the epicenter of a youth tournament that's going on simultaneously. It, th- this isn't a problem. This could be a blessing for them. I mean, they, they might get bailed out uh, for their own stupidity by sheer luck. Um, it's, 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 it is wild to me that this is even like, I can't even believe that they, they, they propose something and put something in place that their players could skewer them for. Those players have been as, as active socially as any professional league in the world. And you then present this to them and think that they're not going to have an opinion on it. <laughs> and, and you know what? The players are 1000% correct. The administration of that league uh, has been in the past and will continue to be the reason why professional women's soccer leagues fold in the United States. It's because of stupid decisions like this. Um, and, and that is, wow, that gets me heated. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're solved it right here. You know, we move it, we move it to Raleigh. There you go. Um, so there you go. Uh, the soccer podcast trying to help the world. Oh, we're trying to help the, the, NWSL. the NWSL. One one podcast at a time. <laughs> one episode at a time. We just saved the NWSL. Uh, all right. Uh, Dwayne, who's your favorite player of the week? <laughs> um, dude, honestly, I'm going to shout out to my 2007 boys this weekend. Uh, coming out after one training session, one goal gets you to the finals. And I mean, we just couldn't capitalize. But coming out and playing phenomenally, you know, growth from the spring to now to you know again having one training session before a tournament and then you know ultimately tying and not finding that goal that we needed to get us into the final so shout out to the 2007 boys there you go um yeah good yeah i i didn't get to watch those sevens i got to watch the 09 plays but the 09 play but yeah they no, some, got some got soccer points i got some got soccer points all that matters right the all all that matters is you got the points uh mike you got a fair play of the week you want to you want to give a shout out to yeah you guys for putting together a podcast that's pretty much coaches therapy i appreciate that <laughs> listen this episode I, you know I, I gotta come up with an episode title but ultimately it it is mike's 94 91 minutes the, co- the coaches the coaches couch <laughs> yeah so, mike build mike bills out the nwsl yeah <laughs> yeah you uh, know in all in, in in all reality, I would like to say it was a great um, it was a great decision. I think on uh, the partnership between the Philadelphia Union and U.S. Soccer to put Carly Lloyd's farewell game at uh, Subaru Park, um, where she is uh, obviously well within that that spitting distance of where she grew up. So yeah. I think that was a um, that was a classy move on their part, and uh, you know she's arguably one of the best, if not the best, to ever to ever play for the U S. So, um, you know, I think it's fitting that she should be able to go out that way in front of her home fans, uh, within eyesight of where, of where she grew up. So I think that was, uh, I will say, I think mean, I was, that was a really, really good thing. So yeah. stoked about that. Philadelphia awesome. union always doing it right. <laughs> NWSL take notes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, Mike, it's been it's been awesome to uh, to have you on the podcast today. Um, again, I think we 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 have a topic in mind, and obviously we we go in different directions because I think we're constantly in that conversation. We're constantly talking about different things, and um, and even when I got got to watch one of your training sessions a couple of weeks ago, we we talked about different things during the during the training session. And I think that that's a part. You know, you asked me you asked me if I uh, one of the things you asked me right as it was. It was ending you asked me if i if i got something out of it and i think the answer is is always yes anytime i'm around you i'm always getting something out of it 
um, because it's it's always learning the learning experience, and I think it goes back to the first thing we we're talking about. It's you know, um, are you going to be a, a support person? You're going to be a struggle person, right? And, and I think every time we talked, it's been been a support uh, from all angles. So I think uh, I think having you on is is always great, and um, and you know, I, I I I'm excited to watch, and you know, we got to watch uh, the Blue Hens play, and and I'm excited to go to more, some more training sessions and i'm excited to to hopefully get to see some more games over the next couple of weeks and in the next yeah. couple of months as you guys get into your conference your conference schedule so uh make sure if you're in the area go watch a, a blue hens game because uh a the atmosphere is awesome uh and and then i think the uh the atmosphere is awesome from a from a stands perspective uh from a stadium perspective it's an amazing place to watch a game from uh there is not a single bad place to sit sit in, the, in those bleachers um no we could we could we could host the 12 p.m nwsl championship game that's right there you go you could do that too listen that's another option uh and and also i think your players uh your players the performance they put on for for people that come and watch is is always incredible i know i think the fact that they they come out at the beginning of the game, throw out some shirts, and, and in general, they're they're always they're always happy to see the fans out there. And um, so, make sure you go check out a Blue Hens game anytime you're you're in Newark area. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate that. Appreciate All right, um, that's it, uh, man. What a what an interesting like sort of backwards episode this week, but I I love it. Uh, it's very Twilight Zone ish, but I like it. I can do yeah. it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us this week, and remember, always receive the ball on your front foot. <laughs>